why don't you uh, just tell us a little bit about your background and walk us through a little bit about what Best Buyer Persona is all about. Yeah, so I'm Adrian Barnes, the founder and principal researcher of Best Buyer Persona. Um, I started freelance writing, working with B2B SaaS clients about five years ago now. And one of the first questions you ask when you're a writer is, hey, tell me about our audience. Who are we talking to? Um, and most of my clients, many of them struggle to answer that question in an effective and way that I could turn around and like create content or actually know the tone of voice. Um, and so I did a little bit of research and started learning, digging deep into how do you talk to people? How do you learn more about an audience? Uh, came across jobs to be done. And this was when Des Trainer was just starting to create stuff. And he was talking about jobs to be done a lot for Intercom. And I read one of his eBooks on it and I was like, that should be a buyer persona. Like, why do we not know that in the buyer persona? Because they were pitting them against each other. It was either jobs to be done or the buyer persona. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, it's like that meme, like, well, why not both? Why not just combine all the good demographic data we need when we do buyer personas with that really good why they buy, how they buy information we learn from jobs to be done. So um, put that together, started doing research, kind of working with some clients a little bit. And uh, it really has taken off and people love what the fact that they can do this persona project and at the end have something that's actually usable and not just a file in your CMOs like drive somewhere. Right, right, right. No, that's so funny. And uh, so can you give us a little bit of background on who that is, like the creator of the jobs to be done? Yeah, so jobs to be done started with the, the is there. Okay, so there are a few different ways to look at jobs to be done. I think there are about three different camps. Um, there's another book that says there are five different ways to look at it. The one that I really resonate with and use for Best Buyer Persona came from Clayton Christensen and Bob Moesta. And Bob Moesta still carries on that torch. He's really working on like demand side sales, demand side things, which um, I think that's just to kind of, you know, make sure he's really being clear in what he's talking about rather than jobs to be done. It can be a little muddled. Um, but yeah, the Bob Moesta camp, how do we have these really solid interviews that extract this information necessary to learn? How do people buy? What were those buying triggers, the, those key moments before the purchase was made? So that's the one that we use at Best Buyer, Best Buyer Persona. Now take me about seven-ish years ago when you're still primarily a freelance writer Mm -hmm. At what point did you realize along that path when you were just working for a bunch of different companies that the traditional makeup of buyer personas was wrong? And at what point did you feel like, okay, I think I could do something a little bit better than this? Yeah. Yeah. So at the very beginning, I was learning how what copywriting was, what content marketing was, was from direct response copywriters. I was in a copywriting group on Facebook, um, really learning how to run a business and manage a business from that kind of viewpoint. Um, and then a lot of what was being told at that time was find a need in your niche, find a little spot, something that's not happening well or not being produced accurately, and then create an offering and service from that. So by the time I had my fourth or fifth client say either, oh, we don't know our buyer, like here and in an email, they kind of gave me like a two-line quip. Or the other option was they would send me this huge document and but pre-qualify it with, we haven't looked at this in years, but here it is. If you need it, like go ahead. <laughs> yep. um, yeah. And so by the time, you know, working for multiple different clients and seeing that 
repeatedly, I was like, there's a need here. This is something a service needs to be met to where we're actually meeting these people's needs and creating something they'll use because they're either not creating anything or they're not using what they'd have created. So that's where it came from. And it's all about the process, it's all about the process. That is so funny. I can already see some parallels between that and competitive Intel where like I've spoken with other founders or other teams from different companies. And it's very similar. Either they have close to nothing on competitors or they don't really know who they compete with. Uh, or how they define a competitor, or they have just a massive amount of very outdated information. Mm, yeah, and so very it's, it's, outdated. it's almost like they like the. It's almost like businesses just haven't really locked into how to maintain this data on a consistent yeah. basis, and it's it's just really interesting that it's very similar with uh, buyer personas. Absolutely, and I say a lot like people think you know, they'll come to me and say, how many times should we do a buyer persona? Or what, what is the process for like renewal? And ideally in a perfect world, you would basically be iterating on your buyer persona almost constantly. Like someone would be having conversations with buyers, users, you know, depending upon the type of product you have um, and taking those insights and putting them into a documentation that gets shared with the entire organization, right? And like it becomes one source of truth for the entire organization. Um, that, that seems to be a perfect world scenario that I've yet to come across, but man, am I fighting for it? Like, yeah. I really want to see it. <laughs> well, it makes, it makes your business a little bit easier than to, right? Yeah, that, it does. You, or it might put me out of business, actually, if, if companies actually start doing I know. It I'm like, like, I'm like in a perfect world, it'd be great if everyone was awesome at competitive Intel, but actually maybe they should all just continue <laughs> not being so great. Cause then we can keep on getting the attention over on all the CI stuff. So no, I totally feel you. Um, okay. So walk me through a little bit of a scenario. So, um, I'm sure that you've worked with clients that are like this before, like an early stage kind of startup where they just straight up, they don't have that much customer data. Where do they start if they want to begin building out buyer personas? Yeah. So there are kind of two phases of this early stage. Um, we have an offering called a buyer persona sprint where I will talk to five customers. We do a survey. We do some social listening and digital intelligence to kind of get a broader idea of, of like a larger audience. Um, and you get to learn really good, clear information about one key segment of your, of your customers. Now, in order to do that, you have to have some customers, right? Like we're not at the point yet where you're at the zero point of startup. So you've maybe got, depending upon what kind of startup you're at, maybe you have 50, 100 customers, uh, or you know you've got like 20 great ones, something along those that, like along those lines about that size, that kind of development works really well, that kind of engagement does. Um, if you have zero customers though, and you're really like, I just need to verify that this is a good idea. Is this even going to work as a business model? Um, that's a different place to start, right? Because you're not doing a buyer persona. What you're trying to do is just like test, do people really want this? Um, the Mom Test is actually a really great book to read, a little plug-in for people, um, you know, to if they're looking for resources. One. Oh, the it's a really test. good one. Yes, the Mom Test. It goes through like, how do you qualify a new idea? How do you ask questions in a way that's not going to get you back biased answers? Because if you're, people say audience research doesn't work. People say, I can't talk to my customers because I've never gotten any good insights. But then they're asking questions like, do you like this? Would you use this? Would you buy this product? Is there something you would change in this product? Well, those kinds of answers are not going to be helpful to growing a business, to creating products, to developing a growth strategy, um, you're, those people are probably lying to you. And they're just gonna be like, oh, it's great. Yes, I'd pay 
$200 a month for that. That's amazing. And then they don't. And then founders are left going, customer research doesn't work. This is, oh that God. was stupid. I would, and I was guilty of giving an answer like that. And I'm not going to reveal the the vendor who asked, but I was doing a, it was essentially a, a product demo. I was helping another, a, another company develop a new feature. We're already existing customers. And they're like, how much would you uh, pay for something like this? And I was like, I don't know. Like I kind of just threw a number out. And then when it came yeah. time to actually like cough up the money, I was like, uh, I actually don't have this much budget for this exact thing. So I had to like kind of turn. And so I, I totally, I feel it on the other side. All of a sudden yeah. I felt kind of bad about it, but now I'm sure they're kind of like, well, what the heck? Like we right. just asked you. And so you <laughs> so said, and we based our pricing on exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But interviewees like that, <clears throat> they're going to lie. I mean, and not, they're not trying to be deceitful. They're not trying yeah. to hurt. It's just really how you ask those questions. So that's for that zero customer kind of startup. Just asking people, is this a good idea? Um, is not a great idea. You're really trying to find potential audience members. And for the for things like that, where I'm trying to find potential audience members, you know, look into communities, look into places where people who would be purchasing your product may lie. Uh, start looking at conversations and and relevancy and and topics, and then that can kind of be where you start to show up and begin to build um, and and make sure that you you've actually got the right audience. And once you see a few of those people ask them like, Hey, can I, can we have a quick chat? I'd love to like pick your brain or share some things. Um, and people usually do. I, I don't have a whole lot of issues getting people on the phone when you ask yeah, nice. Right. Exactly. And so for the people that want to actually go out and start doing these things, what, uh, like how long are the interviews typically, how many questions do you typically ask? Give us a, like a, just a quick couple of, uh, pieces of advice for someone who wants to go out and do this themselves. Yeah. So for yourself, I say, 30 minutes is the sweet spot. I've had clients come to me for con consultations and they're showing me all their stuff. And they're like, well, we tried to book an hour interview and nobody wants to get on the phone and we're, we're not able to book. And I'm thinking if I have an hour of extra time to talk to someone, like I should call my grandma, like I should be on the phone with my mom, not <laughs> a company, right? Oh, like, that's so true. Yeah. That's a lot of time, an hour, but 30 minutes is enough for the interviewer to kind of get to some core key information and it's enough where the interviewee does not feel like they're spending a whole lot of, it's not a huge time investment so do 30 minute calls book yourself for an hour because you need to record it 100 they must be recorded um, and then take what you've learned from that call and kind of like put it in a doc quickly organize it in a fashion that's that makes sense to you um, that's definitely my my one, number one tip if you're doing your own interviews make sure that's a part of your process and then on your website, you have a, I'm going to pull it up really quick. Is it, is it bestbuyerpersona.com? Dot com. Yes. Dot com. Okay. Bestbuyerpersona.com. And uh, if you scroll a little bit, you see kind of this mock example of like, the, I think what most of us are used to seeing when we think of buyer personas, yeah. Mark marketer, 37 years old, married for eight years, two kids, drives a Subaru SUV, <laughs> wants to upgrade to a Lexus. Uh, I love, I love this number one, uh, number two, I wanted to ask you. So when it comes to the actual deliverable of mm -hmm. a new buyer persona or multiple new buyer personas, does it still follow a similar format to where it's like an example person uh, with, with what you do or what does the actual deliverable look like now? So I'm in the only one that I know of that does buyer personas in this way. And I've talked to pretty much everyone who talks about buyer personas. Um, I do not segment audiences according to demographics, 
age, gender, um, anything like that. You're not going to see Mary Marketer, who's a white 25-year-old female, you know, model stock photo, um, who wants to be Catwoman on the weekend. You know, like all of these random yeah. crazy things that brands do. Uh, it doesn't exist. And there's a few reasons. Like, number one, it always annoyed me just going through it and being like, this does not help me do anything. I don't know anything more about actual, like, marketing product, customer support from what you've just told me. But I, I did a lot of research when I was developing it and talked to a lot of, like, you know, bias and cognitive bias and cognitive awareness type people. And they said that actually naming something in this way, giving an age in this way, um, a race obviously leaves a lot of foundation for, for biases that you're not even aware of. So if we're in a company and we say, hey, Mark the Marketer is 45 and he's white and he's our best customer, he's our most ideal. Well, if someone comes to you and doesn't look like Mark the Marketer, you've been told over and over and over and over again. And like I've you know seen examples where companies are putting like life-size figures of their personas up. So everyone's like ingrained. But if you are, have constantly seen this person as your ideal, anybody who's not that, you're not even going to spend time and you're not creating content for them or you're not trying to adapt other tone of voices because, well, you're just trying to appeal to, to Mark. So not only does it create a foundation for bias, but it also excludes parts of your audience, even unintentionally. So mm -hmm. um, we, we definitely state demographics is still important to know. So we'll say 86% of your audience is male. They're 25 to 32, you know, you still have that information, but the persona is more personified or the segments created by the job to be done by what they're trying to accomplish with the product rather than by their demographic or their age or their job title. Even those are mm -hmm. what I consider weak ways to segment an audience. Totally agree. And that's, that was an awesome answer. Thank you very much. That was super in-depth. Uh, I, I definitely feel like there is a lot that folks need to be thinking about when it comes to like this new way of crafting buyer personas, because th we, that's how we were taught in mm -hmm. back in school. It's kind of creating this like weird little demographic or like fake person. And yeah. just, it, it, it always even seemed a little bit off to me back then. And to be honest, I, I never even went through the formal process that they taught us in school. Yes. in an actual professional setting because I, it never really made sense it was always kind of like oh is this really how we do things I don't think so this feels yes. weird and that's why a lot of people are like buyer personas suck they don't work and I, that's why I embrace that buyer personas do suck if you're doing them that way if you're going off of a template they absolutely suck they're not going to be useful for you um, I did some research in a report with audience a tool that I use and we found that like now these numbers are going to be accurate because it was a couple years ago but generally uh like 97 percent of marketers create a buyer persona but 77 percent of them don't use it so they're mm. all kind of it you do it's an exercise the ceo hands it down you know the cmo checks it off the box did we do it yep okay great move on um but it's not something that marketers are actually turning around and using to create content or launches or campaigns it's just this because everybody knows that the process was we sat around in a you know, conference room and we brainstormed some fun things and then we moved on. Mm -hmm. Now walk yeah. me through the concept of the anti-persona. Because I know yeah. that's another, that's another uh, kind of key point that, that you work with. So we have like this kind of ideal customer profile. 
that we're working with that you help identify, but then you also have the anti-persona. So walk me through the importance of knowing that and how you can craft that. Yeah, because sometimes the clearest way to know who you should target is to understand who you should not target, right? Like who's definitely not a good fit. Um, the, that way sales can easily qualify people. They see that, oh, you know, you meet these qualifications, you're not really a great fit for us. Let's show you where you'd be better matched or something like that. Um, the anti-persona is an idea that just says, these are the people who are draining funds. They're a waste of your time. They're going to spend more time like on sales calls and they're, they're sucking up customer support. They've got more tickets and then they churn within a matter of like three months. So you've spent X amount to, you know, acquire them and get them. And then they turn out to just be like, not the right fit customers. So if we understand that at the beginning of sales, of marketing, of whatever process we're taking, then we don't have to put the investment into them. Um, and we're not actually like wasting the money and the resources on them throughout the process. And how, how do you go about finding someone like that? Is it just a matter of finding those? Because I guess when I'm thinking of like anti-personas, I think of completely people that who would have no business uh, using mm-hmm. the product or service that someone is selling. But I feel like there's also a case that could be made for maybe those secondary buyer personas where maybe like, maybe they would come and, and, and purchase it, but they're not a best fit. So right. is, would you consider that an anti-persona or is that how many levels are we, are we working with here? Right. Yeah, exactly. So part of my process is to only talk to people who have purchased. Okay. So I stick within that realm because then I can verify that what we're learning is absolutely true. Um, one of the pre-segments that I talk to, so not like a buyer persona segment, but I say, hey, I need to talk to um, the people who have been like the most loyal customers. They've been around for a long time. They've invested the most money. They've praised you on social media. I want to talk to some of those people. I want to talk to your brand new ones who just bought, like who's brand new to the thing. I want to learn from them. And then I also want to talk to And this one makes founders like palm sweaty and they hate it. But I want to talk to the customers that churned. I want to talk to the customers that left. They were not happy. And that segment, the not happy customers, tells me really who's a good, clear anti-persona. And the way I explain it and really tell why it's important is because at some point in our marketing, in our newsletter, in our social, we sent a signal to these people that we would be a good option. We made it look like we were a great fit for them but we turned out not to be. And that doesn't mean anything's wrong with the product. That doesn't mean anything's necessarily wrong with what's going on. It just means somewhere there was a friction and I wanna figure out where did that friction happen? Where did the needs not get met? Where was the expectation not met? Um, So that we don't spend that time and those resources sending out those signals anymore. We know clearly don't say these things. Don't like these features actually didn't serve these people in this way. Um, It really does make it clear who our best buyers are and then who are not so great buyers are. Nice. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And this actually, a lot of this reminds me of how we crafted personas at ClickUp. And it we, we ended up tying competitive Intel into it as well a little bit. So one of the, I mean, when you look at ClickUp, which is a work management, pro- project management, kind of all in one sort of a platform, um, there's a lot of folks that we could be targeting. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them, are using different tools because we're in a very mature category. You know, mm-hmm. project management hasn't is is not a new concept exactly. And so when we're going out and we're trying to find who's potentially interested in ClickUp, we have to find people who are probably using one or two other specific tools that we know we could 
do right. something better than so is that also a part of your research process just kind of learning about the other competitors that some of these people might be using yes absolutely and not just competitors but we want to look at who um are they like integrating with without us knowing so it's not necessarily because mostly my tools are b2b SaaS. so in their workflow what does their workflow look like what is your best buyer's workflow what um, are the other tools they use just to get the job done so we'll hear about like oh we use clickclip for project management we use um, you know github for tickets we use, you know so i really want to get a really good clear picture of all of the various tools they use to be successful in their job um, the beauty about a best buyer persona is we ask questions at the beginning of the process to stakeholders in the company with of my clients like what are the questions you need to have answered and then throughout the process we're able to learn those answers and that becomes the buyer persona so it's really strategically created to um, make the internal team's decisions easier and and help them make strategic moves in a way that's you know actually data backed and and going to be helpful uh, so we can learn tech stacks pricing workflow internal like they're the organization who are the champions of their best buyers and are they buyers or are they users does the user become the champion i mean all kinds of really details that you just kind of sit back and go man i wish we could learn da da da, da. that's really hard to tell on digital intelligence like you're not going to be able to know by looking through uh you know your credit card your e-commerce like your buyers data your analytics you really have to go to the people and say tell me more about that like mm -hmm. where do you sit who do you report to um yeah so definitely not so much the competitive intelligence but just trying to figure out who all is in play when we're talking to the best buyers exactly yep love that point of view now i uh we're going to wrap this up here in just a couple minutes, but I want to touch on your newsletter, Persona Equals People. Uh, yeah. So give us a little bit of a walkthrough of the kind of content that people could be expecting if they subscribed. Yeah, so really Persona Equals People is for people who are creating buyer personas. If you're like, I really want to make a better, have better processes, we want to understand how to do this. I go through step by step and kind of teach you the tools and the tricks of how to do these audience research, how to host interviews, how to use survey tools, um, things like that. So it's not a every week, you know, you're not gonna get spammed. It's a when an important idea comes across, something that needs to be said is said, um, that's when I show up in your inbox. So yeah, I, I'm glad, thank you for sharing it. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. And those are my favorite type of newsletters too. The ones that uh, that people share when they feel like they have something that they need to share versus like, every week at exactly the same time. I don't know. I can usually kind of tell when it's like, yeah. all right, you, this one was kind of phoned in. So yeah, I appreciate that uh, frequency there. That's uh, good to hear. Cause sometimes I feel like that frequency is like, what, why, you know, oh my gosh, she's not being consistent. You know, they tell you newsletters, creators say that. And I'm like, I don't, if I don't have something of value to show up in your inbox with, I don't want to just be a name that yeah. shows There's up. I think there's some value given like in specific channels, like for Twitter or LinkedIn, I can see there being some value in trying to push yourself to find something to say, or to like really try to like make that a habit of posting frequently. But there's something about the inbox that, or, you know, someone's you know, in, like texting, right? It, there's yeah. something a little bit more sacred about that being a person's space versus a public feed where right. if you're going to be in there, we have to make sure that we're 
saying something valuable or bringing something valuable into into their world and so i can 100% appreciate that point That's of view. That's a good perspective cuz my feed is mine even though you may see it it's yeah. mine your inbox is yours. That's a good perspective. Yeah. Well, anyway, Adrian, I really enjoyed this conversation. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you're up to? Yeah. So if you just are curious about like following along and seeing my random tweets and thoughts, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. So I'm at Adrian Nicole. Um, if you're really curious, like, hey, how does she work? I'd love to work together. Bestbuyerpersona.com. Um, you can fill out the Airtable form there, the little form, and it'll go straight to my inbox and you can figure out best ways to work together. Awesome. Well, I hope that you have a great rest of your day and thanks again for jumping on the podcast.